Do you want to set your child up for success? Is tutoring out of your budget, or perhaps you're someone like me who just wants to save money on private tutoring? Is this a big school year for your child? You know, maybe they're starting kindergarten or middle school. Maybe there's another milestone coming up. Or maybe your family moved. Oh my gosh, I moved so much when I was growing up. And the kids are starting a new school. Or maybe your child is ahead and just not getting challenged enough in class. Well, IXL Learning is here to help. IXL Learning is a fun online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. That's right. It is school approved. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And how to be fine listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash fine. Visit IXL.com slash fine to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Again, that's IXL.com slash fine. Hear that? It's the call of the crave. And when the crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 bacon bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the bacon cheese slider, 1921 bacon cheese slider, or chicken bacon ranch slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 bacon bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. The following podcast contains barnyard language and some adult content. So, maybe listen on headphones if you're at work or around small children. Now, here's the show. Hey, Kristen. Yeah, Jolenta. This season, we're doing books all about hearth and home. Oh, yes, we are. And right now, my home is very full of discussions about race and racism. Oh, yes, absolutely the case in my house as well. It has completely taken over any conversations we used to have 50 times a day about COVID-19. We talk about racism. We talk about white supremacy. We talk about these things all the time. Mm -hmm. And these things, they can be a little difficult to talk about. But did you know that there's a self-help book for talking about race? Oh, yes, I did. Because you and I agreed that that would be the next book we would live by. Because I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jolanta Greenberg. And this is By the Book. In each episode of Buy the Book, we choose a different self-help book to live by, follow it to the letter, and weigh in on whether or not it actually changed our lives. For this, our seventh season, we are exploring hearth and home through self-help books. And today, we're tackling a topic that is part of all of our homes and lives, and finally, a bigger part of our national conversation as well, race and racism as explored in the book, So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijeoma Aluo. Ijeoma Aluo is a writer and speaker based in Seattle. 
She started out in marketing, but in 2012, with the death of Trayvon Martin, she changed her career path. At the time, Alul was a mom in her 30s, and Trayvon was the same age as her older son. She started writing about racism in a blog, and her stories quickly gained popularity and catapulted her into a writing career. Her work has been featured in The Guardian, Jezebel, The Stranger, Elle, The Washington Post, to name just a few. She's been named one of The Roots' 100 Most Influential African Americans, one of the most influential people in Seattle by Seattle Magazine, and is the winner of the 2018 Feminist Humanist Award by the American Humanist Society. In 2018, she published her book, So You Want to Talk About Race, which is a New York Times bestseller. Alua began writing So You Want to Talk About Race at the suggestion of her agent, who proposed she write a guidebook to discussing the topics she was writing about regularly. Alua was initially reluctant, feeling she already spent more time dealing with race than she wanted. But ultimately, she decided that a book might save her from having to answer the same questions over and over again and have a larger reach. And so you want to talk about race, Oluo asserts that not shying away from talking about race and all the difficult topics it comes with will hopefully lead to people of color feeling more seen and white people being more equipped to talk about and fight against racism. Here's how you do it. Step one, talk about systemic racism. When you talk about racism, do so with the following definition. Racism is any prejudice against someone because of their race when those views are reinforced by systems of power. This allows us to discuss racism not as an individual transgression, but as part of a larger system of oppression. Step two, go into conversations about race prepared. Know your top priority in the conversation. For example, it may be understanding racism better or addressing an incident involving race. Do your research in advance. Accept the fact that if you're white, a person of color may not want to act as your human Google. Don't make your anti-racism argument oppressive against other groups, such as women or people with disabilities. When you start to feel defensive, stop. Ask yourself why and remind yourself the priority is to be better, not right. And particularly if you're white, be sure to talk about racism with people of your own race, not just other races. Step three, check your privilege. Regularly list the advantages you have that others do not and how those advantages contribute to your options, actions, and opinions. They may relate to gender, educational attainment, citizenship status, or a million other things. Do this not only to stop personally perpetuating oppression, but also to develop empathy and identify the areas where you have the power and access to change the system as a whole. Step four, talk about intersectionality. Race does not exist in a vacuum. We all have a myriad of identities, and they affect the ways that oppression impacts us and that social justice movements fail us. For example, the author is Black, queer, and a woman. Going forward, consider the diversity of identities of people. Look at what you don't know and who you're leaving out. Make conversations accessible to everyone and prioritize the opinions of those who are overlooked. Step five. Talk about topics that are often misunderstood or overlooked. Have honest and informed conversations about the value of affirmative action, the disproportionate policing and violence against Black and Brown people, the school-to-prison pipeline that starts with the pathologizing of Black and Brown preschoolers, the whitewashing of school curriculum, and the economic and social inequalities that rightly result in people of color being angry. Step six, talk about cultural appropriation. Cultural appropriation is the adoption or exploitation of another culture by a more dominant culture. 
It includes Indian headdresses as fashion, dressing as another ethnicity as a Halloween costume, and cultural expressions that are only appreciated when cloaked in whiteness. Focus on appreciation over appropriation. If you are not black, do not use the N-word, even if some black people have chosen to use the word in an attempt to take it back from white supremacists. And accept that if you are inadvertently offending someone, you are not the victim. Step seven, talk about microaggressions. Microaggressions are small, cumulative, and usually committed by people who have no idea they are perpetuating them. They include phrases like, is that your real hair? You're so exotic. And that's so ghetto. They also include actions like speaking loudly at Asian people and taking the next elevator if you see black people in the one that's in front of you. When someone has perpetuated a microaggression, state what happened, ask why they did it, and make clear that it should not happen again. If someone calls you out for committing a microaggression, ask yourself, do I know what I just said? Would I have said the same thing to someone of my own race? And then apologize. Step eight, talk about the model minority myth. The model minority myth posits that Asians are hardworking and meek and positions them as the version of a minority that all other minorities should aspire to. In fact, Asian Americans face extreme educational and economic disparities, hate crimes, higher rates of violence against women, and the common struggles of other people of color, including workplace discrimination and lack of political representation. Speak out against the model minority myth when you see it, and stop believing we're in competition for the biggest piece of the white supremacist pie. Step nine, accept that you're going to make mistakes and keep trying to do better. Conversations about racial oppression are hard but necessary, and sometimes they go horribly wrong. When they do, stop trying to jump back in to save what's beyond saving. Don't insist that people give you credit for your intentions. Do not write your synopsis of the conversation as the time you got yelled at. Don't beat yourself up. If you're called a racist, don't get defensive or discount someone's emotions because their experience is foreign to you. Try to hear the impact of what you've done while knowing that no one owes you a debate or a relationship. Sincerely apologize and commit to doing better next time. Step 10. Do more than talk. Vote local and for diverse government representation. Push your mayor and city council for police reform. Bear witness when people of color are being harassed. Support people of color-owned businesses, books, music, film, and art. Give money to organizations working to fight racial oppression. Boycott businesses that exploit workers of color and demand college diversity. That's what the book says. And so that's what we did for two weeks straight. Okay, Jolenta, tell us about your first week of living by So You Want to Talk About Race. Kristen, my first week started immediately with me making a mistake. Uh, I make mistakes all the time, but what's your mistake here? I guess more accurately, this week started with a mistake I made a while back that current events brought to my attention. And by current events, Jolenta, we mean that we began living by this book the week that George Floyd was murdered by police officers in my hometown of Minneapolis, and -hmm. the world was beginning to look more closely at all kinds of racism in the world. Including the racism of one Stassi Schroeder former star of Vanderpump Rules and the author of Next Level Basic, which is a book we featured a while back, she got called out for some racist behavior and was basically fired from all her jobs. And listeners started writing to us when this news broke, asking if we're going to keep our episode up about her work and how I felt because I was the one of the two of us who recommended her book. And I started asking myself, why did I recommend this book? What do I want to do about this? 
And what did you decide? I mean, I know the answer, but do right. tell the listeners. So <laughs> I wanted to address my mistake, which is step nine, but I didn't feel ready to jump into it that quickly. So I started with step two. Step two is going into conversations prepared. Exactly. And I had to get researching. So first I looked into Stasi and what she actually did. And what I found was pretty sobering. So I've done extensive research. I hit up Us Magazine, Page Six, Insider.com, Reality Tea, The Daily Mail. I never thought I would be doing legit work research on these sites. But what I found is disturbing. Basically, Stassi, as you know, a white woman, calls the cops on Faith, who is her Black co-worker, as a joke. Basically saying she was committing these ring of robberies. The perpetrator was a young Black woman. So she thought it'd be funny with some of her friends to call the cops on Faith. And if it's not bad enough to just call the cops on someone who is Black when they are innocent and that's fucking egregious... She then goes and retells this whole story about calling the cops on Faith on a podcast called Bitch Bible as though it's like some funny crime-solving anecdote while just ignoring the fact that unarmed Black people are killed all the fucking time by police. So, wow. Wow. So much worse than joking about your own name. Needless to say, I was pretty disgusted by what I found and disappointed in myself because, you know, I was basically able to excuse what I already knew of Stassi's racism instead of seeing it as a problematic message coming from a public figure or just, you know, a red flag warning that, like, there's probably more gross behavior to come. And the reason I could overlook this was because of my privilege, right? Like, let's be real. My privilege allows me to kind of gloss over this subject in the first place because it doesn't really affect me. Yeah, so that brings us to good old step three, checking our privilege. Exactly. So I sat down with Brad, my partner, and together we did the privilege checking exercise as laid out in the book. So first it has you make a list of all the things that make you privileged. Then we wrote down, you know, all the things we could think of, white, straight, middle class, upbringing, etc. And then we talked about how those privileges impacted our lives, uh, especially when it comes to how our lives intersect with the police. Basically, I think we think the world is far more our oyster mm-hmm. than other people do. I also f- I was thinking about like even as like a white suburban middle class teenager, like my mm-hmm. interactions with police, like I got pulled over for mm. um, whatever, having like a broken oh tail God, light. Yeah. I got pulled over twice on the same car ride home by two different cops in two different cities. And, nothing. and yeah, everything was like norm. Mm-hmm. Everything was chill. And one time me and my friends were like, straight up messing around, like, playing, like, games and, like, hiding our cars in spots we shouldn't have, and the cop comes up, and we got in trouble, but there was never a sense of, like, like, the worst that would happen was, like, our parents would find out. That yeah. was the worst yeah, thing Yeah, exactly. No, it's, like, nothing, no one, like, there are no consequences. Oh, yeah. The police certainly treat you and Brad mm. way differently than they tend to treat people of color. Exactly. Very true. And so having that sort of knowledge under my belt now, I felt more ready to finally do step nine and actually take some ownership of my mistake. Uh, I took some time and wrote out my thoughts. I ran them past some extremely smart and cool people I know. So thank you to Kristen and our producer, Daisy, for looking over that. Um 
They were both super generous and gave me their thoughts and their time and feedback. And then I recorded my thoughts and we put it up on the podcast feed the next day. And for those of you who missed it or don't want to scroll through the Buy the Book feed to find it, here's a clip. Um, In my verdict, I recommended Next Level Basic. And it's embarrassing to admit that uh, when I recommended this book, I knew that Stassi had made some racist comments in the past on her podcast. Um, And I excused this because, you know, she gave lip service to owning her mistakes and basically because my white privilege makes it easy for me to overlook how insidious missteps like this really are. So... I promise to do better, and uh, I definitely, definitely promise to do my own research and my own thinking before jumping on the, like, hey, they already apologized, so it's all good bandwagon. Jolenta, um, I know that you put a lot of thought into this. I know you didn't just jump into it and immediately respond, and um, and you didn't just immediately get defensive and you didn't try to write it off as less than what it was. And I think that people really appreciated that. I hope that people who are affected by my thoughts or hurt by them, like, feel a little more seen and that, like, I can put a little more goodness and equality into the world. And with that, I ended my first week, too. So, Kristen, I very, very much would like to hear about how your first week went living by So You Want to Talk About Race. Well, I started with step one. Ugh, classic, Kristen. You always start at the beginning. (laughs) And that is talking about systemic racism. Yes, yes. And, you know, we already mentioned this earlier, Jolenta. Racism is something we talk about all the time. You know, not just in my household, but on the show, we Mm -hmm. um, talk about it with our friends and family. We get complaints about it from listeners who say we talk about it too much. Yeah. Yep. Complaint just came in today, I'm sure, saying, (laughs) why you talk about it so much? I'm uncomfortable. Yes. But when George Floyd was murdered in my hometown by police officers, Mm -hmm. when a white woman called the police on a blackbird watcher in the town I now call home, and when details about the murder of Breonna Taylor by police officers hit national headlines— Something in me snapped, and suddenly race was the only thing I could think about or talk about with everyone I knew, including my friend Whistlin, who I had not seen face-to-face in months because, you know, COVID, but Mm -hmm. we decided to get together in the park at a distance because I wanted to hear about how she was doing and note she's black. Here's what she said. You you know, I get texts from, like, let's say some white friends who asking me, you know, what can I do as a white person, you know, to combat racism or the institution of racism? And I'm like, okay, so having to deal with, like, black men and women getting killed by the police, right, or um, just dealing with racism, so having to deal with that on a personal level, you know, emotionally to process that, and then now I have to take the time to, you know, to, like, find resources for you, too, mm-hmm. you know, so then you don't feel so bad, you know, like, yeah, I don't know how to, like, um, articulate it, but, like, it's not your job as a black person to try and make white people feel better right now about racism. Exactly. Uh, that is, like, the most depleting vicious cycle there is. 
Yeah. It must be so frustrating and so exhausting. Yeah. It, it's maddening just to think about. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the one going totally. through it. She is. So after that conversation, I decided, you know what? I can take a tiny burden off of Whistlin's plate and the plate of my other Black friends and family mm-hmm. um, because I have this platform where I can share some of those resources myself. But first, I gave some serious thought to step two. And that is going into conversations about race prepared. Yes. And for this, I thought through all the kinds of resources I could share on our Facebook community, on Twitter, on my own private social media feeds. So I decided that my top priorities would be to, number one, legitimize the Black Lives Matter movement, and number two, to encourage non-Black people to do better. I love that. And I'm glad you actually took the time to be like, these are two actual goals of mine, not just like, I'm going to like throw spaghetti at the wall. Yes. I love specificity. Yes. Um, Yes. And that's what that step, you know, guides you to. Exactly. So what did you do after that? I moved on to step five and step six. Let's talk about topics that are often misunderstood or overlooked and talk about cultural appropriation. Yes. And for this, I found well-researched articles about the over-policing of Black people, the difference between uprisings and riots, the documented proof that white supremacists were infiltrating Black Lives Matter protests in Minneapolis, uh, books by Black authors that all Americans should read, effective responses to people who say all lives matter, explainers on cultural appropriation, and free mental health resources for Black people. And then I started posting them everywhere across all my platforms and on other people's pages. I'm talking to you, Uncle Bill. I've posted them everywhere. (laughs) Oh, shit. It's it's true. I've seen it. I've seen it all over the internet. (laughs) Uh, Though I'm sure all of my algorithms are like tuned to pick up whatever you do. So it's like very (laughs) apparent to me. Um, Regardless, what did you do after that? I ran headfirst into step nine. What? I don't believe it. That is except that you are going to make mistakes and keep trying to do better. I believe the keep trying to do better part, but oh god, I don't know about I, – I don't know if I've seen you make many mistakes. Oh, gosh. I make so many mistakes. You know that. And in this case, after a full week of being on my resource sharing spree, a black listener wrote to me about the Buy the Book Facebook page. She accused me of talking about race too much in the show and said I was a betrayer of my race. But in addition to those two criticisms, which, by the way, I totally disagree with, she also had two other points that were definitely worth sitting with. The first of these was, a lot of the resources you're sharing seem to be for white listeners. Do you only care about your white listeners? And the second Mm. was, being a person of color doesn't make you black. Stop speaking for black people. Whoa. Um, So what did you do with that? How do you respond? I mean, honestly, I think I responded horribly. I got what? so I got so defensive about the I first mean, two it's points. It's hard. It's really hard not to get defensive. But those first two points in particular, I just got so defensive about them and mm-hmm. I focused so much on that and that led me to essentially ex- explaining away her concerns on the latter two points and it all just went down the shitter from there. In the end, I apologized. I said I'd try to do better going forward, but it was too late. I just completely messed up, Jolenta. And listener, if you're no. out there, I am so sorry. I really I really screwed up. I'm sorry. Oh, that makes me sad. <laughs> oh, God, it made me sad. It made me – I mean, just talking about it right now, I'm, mm-hmm. morti- I'm mortified thinking about it. I'm mortified talking about it. But right. 
you know, that discomfort is important though. Yeah. But that discomfort's important. And it's something that I have to sit with and I have to own up to, which I'm doing right now. And Mm -hmm. in week two, I vowed I was going to do better. Nice. I cannot wait to hear about that. And plus the book says, you know, it's not about being right. It's about being better. Yes. Yes. Um, Well, we'll get to that. But first we need to take a quick break. But before we do, have you lived by So You Want to Talk About Race? Do you have thoughts? Do you have stories? Share them with us at facebook.com slash groups slash btbpod, or you can email them to us at kristinandjolenta at gmail.com, or you can leave us a voicemail and hear your beautiful voice on a mini episode. Kristen, what's the number? That would be 30249books, also known as 30249266657. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Okay, Jolenta, we talked about your first week of living by So You Want to Talk About Race. How did your second week go? Kristen, it was a very interesting week. Um, I decided I wanted to spend my second week focusing on talking about racism in the areas of life I know best, uh, which is a direct result of checking my privilege. Nice. Love it. And uh, I've decided I'm going to burn it down from the inside or at least confront racism from the inside of places that like kind of love me and trust me, which are lots of like nonprofit, bougie, pat yourself on the back for being woke type institutions. So... I was quite surprised when right after I decided that, I got an email that gave me an opportunity to dive into step five. Ah, that's talk about uncomfortable topics. Right. So I got this email from the pretentious private school in Portland, Oregon that I went to called Oregon Episcopal School. Oh, yes. We've talked about that place back (laughs) in the day in in a few episodes. Yes. Right. So, yes, we've talked about it before. And I got this email from the school saying this. Oh, man. Recently, Oregon Episcopal School participated in a social media campaign for hashtag Blackout Tuesday in solidarity against hatred, racism, and violence in our world. 
The next day, we posted a video expressing a similar sentiment. These gestures were considered hollow by many members of our community, and we were rightfully called upon to take actions to back up our words. Shit. So after I read that, I obviously sprinted to the internet, looked at all the social media stuff, plastered their accounts with my own messages of solidarity and started having dialogues with current and former students on Instagram and Twitter, talking all about the racism at the school and how it's hurt so many people. And eventually that talk gathered momentum and a group of recent alumni and current students wrote a petition that a bunch of us signed and sent into the school administration saying they have to get their shit together when it comes to how racist they are. Nice. That's great. And In response to the petition, the school held a virtual town hall, sort of like Zoom discussion, to give people space to confront those issues, share their personal stories. And it was pretty incredible. And it gave me a chance to hit up steps four, six, and seven. And those are the steps about intersectionality, cultural appropriation, and microaggressions. Right. And like, to be real... Watching and listening to this town hall, like, was so sad. I pretty much, like, just cried the whole time. Um, It's just so sad hearing so many stories from people I grew up with and looked up to and learned from, who felt forced into silence, who felt forced into quitting their jobs and changing schools because people, like, don't want to hear about racism or address it. And what broke my heart the most is, you know— I went to this school 15 years ago is when I graduated. And the fact that there are students sharing stories of the same shit I saw now is just unacceptable. Mm, yeah. Sadly, I just, I I don't think that stuff evaporates just because time passes. No, yeah. no it doesn't. Uh, but it was, it was a good start, this discussion. Like, we talked about the lack of intersectionality. Like, when the school thought it'd be a good idea to gift the international students, which their own lounge, and the international students are predominantly all from China, Korea, Hong Kong, Japan, Taiwan, and basically the staff encourage all the Asian students to, like, segregate themselves. Eek. So that's something we talked about. We talked about all the microaggressions, how the school told students in the middle school recently to take down Black Lives Matter posters because it made some read white students uncomfortable. Ugh. Uh, We talked about this event called Culture Shock that they hold every year, which might as well just be called, like, the Cultural Appropriation Assembly. What do you mean? Uh, Basically, well, the school's website says Culture Shock is a student diversity and social justice conference designed by the students with the goals of celebrating and learning about cultures and lived experiences while increasing students' cultural competence via workshops, affinity groups, and other experiences. When I was there is when it started, and it was basically a few hours to dress up like white guys in kimonos and have a spicy noodle-eating contest, and then get a presentation on, like, African dance that was optional. Oh, God. Yeah. I'm getting itchy. And they're still doing this. I'm getting so itchy. Yeah, it was done digitally this May, uh, and we called them out on how gross it is. It's just, like, the weirdest practice. Everything is gross. Oh, God. Wow. Well... That's a lot of ground to cover. God, they give you a lot of fodder to work with there, huh? For real. Yeah. Um, what did you do after that? One of the experiences that was shared at that town hall really bugged me, or I guess just stuck with me is a better way to put it. You know, when when I was in school, I too was 
one of the chosen <laughs> that um, just being a person of color whose photo was almost in residence at um, the admissions office. I was asked to be a student ambassador um, and I even had a photographer following me around the entire day one day uh, to take photos of me uh, to be used for uh, PR reasons for the school. I had my phone, just my phone number distributed to prospective uh, students, predominantly Indian prospective students. Um, and, uh, and, you know, when I was in school, I knew it, I knew it wasn't right. Um, but, and it didn't feel great. I didn't have a space um, to feel like I could speak up and, and say something. I'll be honest with you, Jolenta, this also happened to me at one of my educational mm. institutions. Um, let's get back to you and your former classmate. Fine, fine. I mean, it's just bullshit. It's all bullshit that she or you or anyone else has to power through a bunch of needless crap and like bureaucracy and like pleasing adults for the wrong reasons to be those sparkle ponies that you guys are. Um, it makes me really sad. Uh, so I messaged her to tell her, like, how grateful I was that she shared her experience so people like myself and others could learn from it. And uh, we ended up talking a bit about that and the detriments of uh, the model minority myth, actually. That is step eight. Yeah. And, you know, it was bittersweet for her. Like, she talked about how she's made some of her best, longest friends at that school that also, like, singled her out and, like, you know, derailed her education because she was a person of color and how conflicting and damaging it is to feel used by a place that you, like, have some fondness for and how, like, she carries that conflict in her always. Mm. And, you know, the last thing she said in our exchange was that she thinks basically nothing's going to change. The board is not prepared to deal with it. The school's not prepared to deal with it. They're not committed to change. Mm. Yeah, and I think I that's mean, true of a lot of places right now, right? unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I don't want to be a downer, but I think she's right, you know? And what she said got me really thinking about how much I hate boards of trustees, like, and systems of power that are in place that we, like, sort of see as immutable, when really there are things we made up that, like, keep things shitty. Oh, yeah, I know. I, and that includes former employers where you and I have worked, Jolenta. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yes. Uh, speaking of those former employers, they're part of my next step I hit up, which was step one. Ah, yes. Talking about systemic racism. And for that, I just went to town on social media discussing my vast experiences with nonprofits that claim to be liberal and good for all that are actually beholden to really conservative, oblivious, rich, white donors and boards of trustees. How they set up systems at places like public radio stations or fancy private schools, places that essentially let you as a white person pat yourself on the back for being good for the world or like woke in theory that are actually institutions that are super insulated, super racist and detrimental to like most of the lives they touch. So uh, if you want to see my thoughts, feel free to hit up Twitter. And there's pretty much a constant tirade about this now. Oh, yes, there is. <laughs> I've <Yeah>. seen it. <laughs> So after that, I only had one more step to do, and that was step 10. That is do more than talk. Mm -hmm. And this, Kristen, is probably the most spoiled bitch thing I did in these two weeks. But here's the deal. I recently found out I'm immune-compromised, and I can't safely 
go out and protest, which is all I want to do right now. And to make up for that, Kristen, I have been going to town ordering all the food I can from Black-owned restaurants in my neighborhood because I want to support Black businesses even though I can't get out there. And I need to eat, and I'm not feeling 100%, and I'm not cooking for myself, so I figure it's a win-win. I think that's a total win. I mean, Thank support, you. supporting Black businesses is the right thing to do, and it's also a step in the book. Yeah, exactly. So that's where I finished my second week, Kristen. I am desperate to hear how your second week of living by So You Want to Talk About Race went. Uh, When we left things off, you were still sort of chewing over that feedback you got uh, from a listener about our Facebook group. Yes. And as week two began, I continued to think about what the letter writer said. I thought about all the advantages I've had and how they may have played a role in my back and forth with her. And I began to list off some of my privileges. Here are just a few of them. Oh, God, where do I even begin? Um... As an Asian American, my likelihood of being killed by the police is significantly lower than it would be if I were Black or Latino. Um, I was raised by a white mother and nana and in mostly white communities, which means I was brought up speaking standard English. I'm neurotypical, which means I'm mostly able to communicate and concentrate in a socially acceptable way. I'm a U.S. citizen, which means I have privileges that other people in the world and in our country don't have. I'm heterosexual, and I'm in a male-female marriage, which gives me both social capital and specific rights that others don't have. Um, I make more than twice as much money as my mother did in her entire lifetime. I have a huge platform, and I have the ability to use that platform for good, Yes, step three, checking your privilege. How how did that feel once you listed it all? Well, first I want to confess that when I was in my teens and early 20s, I freaking hated these kinds of exercises. Mm. Um, as you know, as listeners know, I was a child of abuse. I went to 10 schools growing up. I was not white and usually in mm. white spaces. I did not come from money. But the older I've gotten and the further I've gotten away from my childhood trauma— the more Mm -hmm. I've really come to embrace these kinds of exercises, um, I know for a fact that I'm privileged in so many ways. And as the book says, those privileges don't mean I never suffered or worked hard, but they're real. And I think that a lot of folks get caught up in the, oh, if you tell me I'm privileged, are you saying I don't work hard? Are you you saying I didn't earn what I have? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, no, they're real, but also other people have like very different ones that you don't know about. Um, What did you do after that? I did step four. And that's talk about intersectionality. Yes. And for this, I thought about the diversity of identities of people in our audience and in the world. I began to think about what I could do going forward to make conversations more accessible to everyone and prioritize the opinions of those who might be overlooked. And I put out a statement on the Facebook page Mm. for Black listeners only to share their thoughts only if they wanted to um, and let us know, you know, what they were feeling, what they were thinking. I said, no pressure. We don't want you to do any Mm -hmm. emotional labor here. And I also made clear in my statement, I am not a black person. I am not speaking for black people. And I never want to give the impression that I know what it's like to Mm -hmm. be black. I am a person of color, but being a non-black person of color, I'm still not black. So just, I want to make that really, really clear. And I think sometimes allies, um, 
need to say that more loudly. And I knew that I needed to say it more loudly, like just because I have black friends and family, just because I'm a person of color. None of these things make my experience uh, anything like yours. It's mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. different. And so I tried to put that out there. And then I just waited to see, did any black people want to write us? They didn't have to, obviously, but did they want to? And I totally remember that. And a shout out and huge thank you to all the black listeners who wrote in with their thoughts. Like we we super appreciate it. Yes. Thank you, all of you. Um, here's what you said. It wasn't necessarily my posts that were the problem with the Facebook page. It was my failure to moderate the page. Now, Jolenta mostly moderates the Insta feed, and I mostly moderate the Facebook community. And I mean, you have a much harder job. Like, <laughs> but they're both jobs. Like, we all know that. They're both jobs. And unfortunately, you know, after I did, you know, a whole bunch of like sharing of resources, I stopped paying attention really to what was coming in. And right. unfortunately, a very large percentage of posts were from white people centering themselves in the conversation about anti-black racism. Uh, They were saying things like, how do I respond when my family member says this? And then they would have a screenshot of just a racist, Mm. horrible thing. Or look at this racist photo I just screen grabbed from my uncle's Facebook page, and it would just be something incredibly traumatic and violent toward black people. Yeah, like something horrible. Yeah. Or um, posts like, I'm just tired of all the bigotry. Let's start a thread of happy things. Um, these things were all getting through, yeah. and this was my fault because it is my job to stay on top of these things, and I wasn't paying attention. So clearly what was coming through was hurtful, it was offensive, and I'd say that they fall under the category of microaggressions also. Totally, which uh, is step seven, talking about microaggressions. Yeah, and to be clear, I do think all the white people posting these things on our community page were really well-intentioned. But Mm -hmm. as the author says, microaggressions are usually not done on purpose. Exactly. That's why they're micro. Hard to see. Yeah. But the hurt they cause, that's still real. That's still valid. So 100%. I stepped up then and there. I put a post on the page thanking our Black listeners for their feedback. I apologized. And I explained to everyone in the community that just for the next few days, not forever, but just for a few days, we'd only be approving posts about Black Lives Matter from Black community members. This wasn't to silence anybody, but it was meant to give space to our Black members to talk, Mm -hmm. should they want to, and to recenter themselves in this story. Um, The reason I want to make sure people know I wasn't trying to silence white people is because some people did write to me and say, you're trying to silence white people. Um, It's about amplifying not silencing. Yeah, for a few days. It's not forever. It's for a few days. Yeah. yeah. It's yes. hard, but we can deal. Yes. I'm a fan, and <laughs> I saw what was happening, and I thought, like, we all learned a lot. So yeah. I'm grateful that that happened and that you, like, took that on. So thank you. Moving on, what did you do after that? I tackled step eight. Ah, the model minority myth. I have a feeling you're going to have some very hot takes on this. (laughs) We talk about this a lot in our lives It's great being a model minority. It's wonderful. I mean, I've had all sorts of um, uh, experiences as a model minority in my life. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I don't always talk about it with my other Asian friends. We'll we'll talk about Asian things here and there. But it's not like every time we get together, all we talk about is like, what's it like to deal with bigotry and be a model minority. But um, Mm. I decided to really go into it with my friend Paul, who's Asian. And here we are. 
But is that what you went to college to study was um, programming? No, I thought I was going to graduate with a history degree and go to law school. Oh, you would be such a good lawyer. Oh, my God. Why didn't you do that? You'd be such a good lawyer. Yeah, I mean, part of it was I did become interested in computer programming, but there's kind of this ceiling in the legal world for someone who's Asian, right? People look at someone with a last name like mine and say, yeah, you don't have a law firm name. You're never going to be on the masthead. Um, for Chinese lawyers, it's kind of assumed that you're either going to be an immigration lawyer or a tax attorney. You know, no, one, no one's really pushing for Chinese lawyers to become judges or partners at big law firms. You'd be a fine associate if you graduate towards the top of your class, but there's not really a, a cachet that comes with being a Chinese lawyer, no matter how brilliant you are. Now, Jolenta, what's crazy is that Paul and I have been friends for years, and I had mm-hmm. no idea that at one point in his life he wanted to pursue law. I had zero wow. idea, but wow. I totally get it. There is a bamboo ceiling for Asian Americans. I know not everybody knows Oof. that terminology, but it's yeah. um, it's a term that Asian Americans use for the fact that we're great quiet, meek workers, but we're not great leaders. Nobody trusts us to be in charge because we don't exude leadership for some reason. There's something about us that's just not, you know, strong enough. There's something about us that, you know, you know what I mean. It's so crazy that you didn't know that about him or that and just that these sort of shared experiences aren't just aren't talked about that much. I didn't think much about when the book says talk to people of your own race because I'm fucking white um, (laughs) about racism because, like, yeah, I talked to my white husband, my white mom, my white grandma about this stuff, but I hadn't thought about how, like, you and your Asian friends, like, maybe aren't talking about it. Yeah, Um, and it was really good to do that. So after discussing that, what did you do? Well, like you, I ended my second week with step 10. Yeah, do more than talk. Yes. And for the remainder of week two, I protested. I went to three protests a day, every single day. Black Lives Matter protests, Black Trans Lives Matter protests, anti-police violence protests, Breonna Taylor protests. I also wrote letters. I wrote letters to uh, different police precincts around America. I wrote letters to governors. I wrote letters to mayors. I wrote letters... uh, Related to some of those boards that you mentioned earlier, Jolenta, and certain people who make rules and uh, perpetuate systemic racism. I donated to the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. I increased our monthly donations to the Southern Poverty Mm. Law Center and the ACLU. I posted publicly about where I was donating. And then at the end of the week, I did this. Well, I just got done voting. And it was really exciting. My first time in a room... Uh, in an enclosed space with more than three people in months and months and months and months. So, uh, of course, I did my research on my candidates. I did over an hour of that before going to the polls just to make sure I knew what everyone's platforms were, who cared about racial justice, environmental justice. I, Oh, my God, is that police officer really driving through a red light? Well, it's a good thing I voted for a local candidate who is against police corruption, dum-dum. Good old Kristen calling police a dum-dum. <laughs> yes, I did. But what I really should have yelled at him was, defund the police, motherfuckers. Good. And don't <laughs> run red lights. It's dangerous for everyone. <laughs> 
I mean, it sounds like you really ended your second week with a bang. <laughs> I like I'm to impressed. think so. I like to think so. It was a pretty good end to the week. And I am just dying to talk with you about my verdict and your verdict. I know, me too. But I guess first, we have to take a break and remind people we want to hear from them. So uh, we want to hear from you. Have you read So You Want to Talk About Race? What are your thoughts? Share your story with us at kristenangelenta at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 302-49-BOOKS. That's 302-492-6657. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Okay, Jolenta, it's time to get down to business. Did So You Want to Talk About Race Actually Work? Would we recommend it? Okay, Kristen, I'm going to say right off the bat that I think this is my favorite book that we have ever lived by. Yay! This, this book literally gave me life to sound like the most basic white bitch of all. But truly, like... Full disclosure, I'm miserable right now. I'm sick. I'm scared. I'm worrying about letting down my work responsibilities. I'm worrying about letting down the world. I'm worried about racism. I'm worried about how we're going to, like, reform everything. And, like, it's easy for me to get stuck in my own head and, like, in a nice, shitty, depressed, selfish rut during times like these. But this book got me outside of my bullshit. It helped me like re-enter the real world and feel like I was adding to a discussion and learning and tackling issues despite like the limitations on my life and on all of our lives right now, you know? And like, it just feels good to come together with people for a greater cause and remember that we're all human and to fight for that fact. And I just, like, I love this book. I loved everything about it. I love that it like had you look at your defensiveness. I love that it had me evaluate my opinions and learn how to, like, calm myself out of my own shit and, like, do research before I talk. Like, it's just the best fucking book. That's all. <laughs> what do you think? Well, I agree with you, Jolenta. This is a fantastic book. Um, it's an outstanding primer to what systemic racism right? is. And, um, you know, the term systemic racism, I do think, is very new to lots of people at this moment. Um, and I, I think it's important that people better understand it. And this is an outstanding starting point. It is, uh, we haven't even mentioned it yet, but it is such an easy book to read. 
Um, right. The, the stories the way it's broken up. Yeah, the stories that Aluo um, also folds in, acknowledging her own moments of not doing things quite right, her own privilege, her own defensiveness at various points. Mm-hmm. And it just really humanizes things. And I know that so many of us were just, you know, even those of us who um, deal with racism every day, uh, you know, directed at us, don't mm-hmm. always know the best way to talk about racism. And right. um, we make mistakes. And I like that the book makes it clear that, of course, we're going to make mistakes when we talk about something that's this huge, that's this complicated, mm-hmm. that's exactly. this painful. Of course, we're going to do things that are embarrassing. Of course, we're going to have moments of very, very deep discomfort. And discomfort is part of growth. There are going to be mm-hmm. moments. That's how we learn. Yes. Yes. yes absolutely. We have and, to make mistakes, learn from them, change, do better. Yeah. Right? And that has to happen. We can't just always have polite conversations that don't make us uncomfortable because then nothing changes. Exactly. And I also like that she acknowledges that what we consider the right tactics and the right methods for talking about things now and for uh, fighting racism now, those might not be the right tactics in the future. Our exactly. standards change, and that's a good thing. It's a sign of growth. And I love that she says that because I remember back in the 90s, um, you know, you were when we were colorblind. Probably, when we were colorblind, love sees no color, right. and we're, we, we weren't know, allowed to address it. Yeah, like, and we all know better now that that is a really narrow-minded way to try mm, and fix the world. The issue. It's essentially saying let's pretend we don't see it when everyone sees it. And so I think that mm-hmm. um, what she's saying is like, yeah, what worked like in 1930 that seemed groundbreaking probably by 1960 wasn't, and that's a good thing. What's happening now exactly. in 2020? In 2050, we're going to look back on this and think, wow, we our antiquated methods, so well-intentioned and so off-base, that's yeah. a good thing. Wow, they did not know what they were doing, yeah. but they tried. Like, Yeah, and I just love that. And that no matter what, it's not too late. I mean, yes, we're 400 years too late to all these conversations, but yeah. better to have the conversation now than wait till tomorrow or the day after or the day after right. or the century after or 400 years like later. we're not too far gone. Like, we can address it. Yeah. Better to do it now than to do it never because we're embarrassed about it. And she just makes it all very accessible. Um, mm-hmm. And I was going to say, you don't need to have any social justice background yes, yes. or extensive knowledge in these subjects. You can pick it up at an airport and, like, be enlightened. Although I don't know who's at an airport anymore. <laughs> but you know, what I'm, you know what I'm saying. You can pick it up online from your favorite independent bookseller and learn something. And in case there are white people out there afraid of, like, blame, it's not about blame. It's about just learning the history of how these inequities got put into place and how the institutions we have now keep them in place and sort of try to keep us oblivious to them. Mm-hmm. It's not your fault, but you are a part of that system, and we should be all learning about it. Yes, yes. So um, long story short, I think we agree that yeah. So You Want to Talk About Race is a good book for the world. Everyone should read it. Just a straight-up good read. And that's it for this episode of By the Book. Huge thanks to our fabulous production team at Stitcher, our producer Daisy Rosario, our other producer Brandon Nix, our engineer Andy Christens, and our chief content officer Chris Bannon. Thanks also to Nate Wida who composed our theme song and to the Rizzos who performed it. Please stay in touch with us. Let us know if you've read 
So you want to talk about race? Let us know your thoughts, share your stories with us, and send us any questions or suggestions, too. Our email address is kristenangelenta at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at ByTheBookPod. Um, you can also hit us up individually on Twitter, at Kristen Meinzer, at Jalenta G. We're everywhere. Yes. And please rate us and review us in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It helps other people find the show. And if you haven't already, tell a friend about the show. Tell an enemy about the show. Tell an administrator at a school that is perpetuating systemic racism about the show. Until next time, I'm Jalenta Greenberg. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. But I'm white and scared. (laughs) I'm always scared. It's not just because I'm white. (laughs) Stitcher. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.